A horse has been donated by the relief organization to a farmer in the other end of the county, the first beneficiary in the state of a program that calls for the distribution of horses, cows, chickens, and other stock to the needy among the agricultural population. The newspaper account explains that the farmer in question, an ex-railroad man whom the Depression had driven to the soil, had been cultivating by hand three acres of vegetables for the city market, and that, with the aid of a horse, he will be able to increase his production to fifteen acres. Meanwhile, his neighbors, who have been on the soil for years, are being paid by the government to limit their acreage and reduce production. And the rest of us are paying for both the increase in one case and the decrease in the other, paying in the form of higher prices for our own processed products and lower receipts for our products destined to be processed. The absurdity of paying one farmer to reduce his crops while paying another to increase them is bad enough, but even that is not so fantastic as some of the other operations of the Department of Agriculture. For example, farmers in the upper Mississippi Valley were paid to reduce grain acreage. Then, the drought ruined what crop there was left, so now they are being paid again in the form of relief for the destruction of the rest of it. The money is coming out of the Treasury, and the Treasury will be reimbursed from taxes paid by people who will also have to pay the higher gain prices which the reduced crop will bring about. If agriculture has gained anything under the New Deal, it is not apparent. The hog market is half what it was a year ago. The egg market, in terms of the higher prices for milled grain, is no better, and in terms of the devaluated currency is worse than last year, and if, as seems probable, grain prices advance, it will only make the disparity greater between the cost of production and the market value for producers of all kinds of livestock. I jot down these notes as they occur to me without much thought of the ultimate direction in which they point. Yet in reflecting on querulous plaints like this, I catch or is it imagination, the element of class consciousness. I have never believed in the dream of a classless society. There will always be the ins and the outs. The mere existence of a government, with its many offices, creates a vested interest, and there are intellectual and cultural lines that even a communist state cannot wipe out. But class consciousness implies, not necessarily but generally, a consciousness of belonging to the proletariat, the outs. Even as recently as a year ago, I would have thought of myself, if in terms of class at all, as an aristocrat by culture and taste, if nothing else. If now I tend to identify myself with the masses, it is not through any feeling of spiritual kinship, but because I have been forced economically to the proletarian level. I dare say it is that which actuates my resentment. Like all the dispossessed, I look to government to raise me to an easier place.
and am quick to condemn when my desire to better my economic status seems defeated.